with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of His ministry. Uh, may He be with you and us tonight. Are you going to church? We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for what we call milk, and then at 2.30 for what we call meat, verse by verse, through Matthew in the milk uh, gathering and 2.30 at 2.30, uh, we're going through Romans. Um, join us, invest in the present uh, and in the future for yourself, for your family, by uh, giving some attention to the Word of God and understanding it, fellowshipping with like-minded believers or people who are searching. Uh, it does not return void. Go to www.campus.com for more information. By the way, we are going to be making some exciting announcements in the near future about campus, so stay tuned. Our outstanding webmaster, Micah Bailey, has developed some amazing websites just for you. They provide a tremendous amount of information, so take a look. One, two, three, four. I've been tell you about those uh, promos really I mean those uh, websites born again Mormon uh, it tells you all about the ministry to the LDS the first book there's a lot of frequently asked questions like long long list of frequently asked questions and uh, much much more so uh, born again Mormon's a good site uh, hotm.tv it holds all of our uh, television programs over 320 now hour-long live call-in television programs you can go all the way back to 2006 and uh, you can also see a lot of other things uh, the programs are a lot clearer now because we're, they're coming straight from a satellite campus uh, it's our newest site it's really cool check it out it talks about and all of the uh, teachings will be up on that site in the near future. And finally, we have the uh, we have www.xmormonfiles.tv. This site's under construction, but it too is going to begin to carry all the interviews that Bishop Earl has been doing. And uh, there's been a number of them. You can go to the, and sign up and meet with Bishop Earl by going to that site. Okay, AM 820, uh, The Truth. Listen to it. It's an excellent Christian radio station here in Utah. AM 820 is full of great information. That's the, that's the key word tonight. Uh, 
especially Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. That is when Heart of the Matter is replayed. But they also, I mean, all through the week, they, they, they play the best um, pastors, the best preachers, teachers of the Word of God in America, I think. Uh, and so you can tune in there and check them out. Speaking of Bishop Earl, was I speaking of Bishop Earl? I don't think I was, but he was invited to speak at Calvary Chapel um, Idaho Falls over the weekend, and from what I hear, uh, did just a fantastic job. So great that an LDS woman went with a Christian friend and uh, walked out. The Christian friend, her sat in the car, and she turned her life over to the Lord and, and is sending her letter into the LDS church. And that's just one that we know of. Um, I hear the church has really got it going on. So if you're living up in that area and you're looking for a place to w worship the true and living God, check out Calvary Chapel, Idaho Falls. I think we have the website uh, there on the screen. As I mentioned, one of the things we will, uh, you'll find on HOTM.TV uh, is a shopping area. What products are avail available therein? Well, let me show you. We, uh, you can pick up the Bible versus the Book of Mormon there. I'll hold it for a second. You can pick up DNA versus the Book of Mormon there. You can pick up the Bible versus Joseph Smith there. You can pick up a Mormon president there. This is really timely. You can pick up a copy of Girl. It's a, a short film about premarital sex. You can pick up a copy of Boy. It's the second one, and we're going to have the third one coming out in the, in the next year called God. And then you can also pick up... Um, our books, If My Kingdom Was of, of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight. You can pick up I Was a Born Again Mormon. And you can pick up our newest book, Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity. Uh, finally, we also, we put the Word of God to music uh, at campus. And so you can also order this. This is 17, I believe, verses put to music. And it helps you... Um, Learn the Word of God. You'll wake up in the morning singing these things because they're driven into your head by us, but they're excellent. And uh, so any of those products can be picked up by going to www.hotm.tv. I feel like we're on one of those uh, product <laughs> things. Hey, the first 10 callers. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, Speaking of products, every now and again, people make the mistake, really, of sending me gifts, and I encourage you strongly not to, uh, uh, but I received this in the mail not long ago, and it's so beautiful and so well done, and it totally fits like our, my style, our family style, that I have to show it to you, and uh, this is a, a complete leather pillow made by hand, and uh, isn't that beautiful? And uh, so um, it was made by Cindy. We're going to call her Cindy. That is her name, but I'm not going to give you the last name. If you're, and I'm just doing this because I, I think this is so beautiful and it's such a talent. And you know, those crosses and the leather. Anyway, uh, Cindy's phone number, we're putting it on the screen, aren't we? There it is. If you want one like that, call that number and Cindy will talk to you about how to get it. Uh, by the way, for you cynics out there, uh, I'm doing this because I love the pillow, and uh, Cindy's not paying for this, and I did not get the gift in exchange to show the pillow on the air. Uh, Cindy, the, the thing just fits with the ministry, and, uh, and I dig it. So there. Okay. Uh, our national tour is getting legs. You want to know when and where we'll be? Take a look.
A lot of information has gone out uh, over the past number of months about that summer tour. Listen, if you're an ambassador and you've signed up and go as you're led, we're just going as we're led and, and uh, books have been sent to people and we're seeing how it goes. We believe that uh, this might just be an introduction to what may be coming over the next uh, number of years. Uh, in the summers of going out. So go as you're led, and, uh, and if it doesn't produce any uh, appointments or fruits for your specific area, don't worry about it. We're working it all out, and we'll go from there. In 2006, we warned you of this very time and day. In 2008, the warning was proven legitimate. Since that time, the Mormon Church, a multi-billion dollar religious conglomerate, has done all it can to persuade the nation that it's normal, with its and I'm a Mormon campaign, that they are Christian and that it, the institution, can be trusted. So here we are, 2012, and in the face of 180 years of Mormon missionaries, temple buildings, change in focus, practice, and doctrine, the Salt Lake Tribune ran the following headline last week. This is what that headline says. Said. Says. It says, the Mormon... Time, I mean, the time of the Mormon is now. Is that right? The Mormon moment is now. The Mormon moment is now. Um, I couldn't agree more. And, and in the face of this, we have to simultaneously say that the Christian moment is now. It's, it's going to be a time where every Christian in America, even the world, is having to decide if they're going to stand for biblical truth or something else. It's a time where every Christian in America is going to have to decide if they're going to, uh, to truly and faithfully serve the living God or rationalize him and his truth in the name of their pocketbook or, uh, you know, better schools. It's a time when we will either look back over our shoulder in awe and support of our forefathers who stood in the face of false religion like Mormonism, just, just ardently stood in the face of it, or we choose instead to build bridges with the institution out of misguided allegiance. I want to tell you something I'm not sure uh, the masses realize. The Mormon model um, and the spirit of Mormonism works. It is successful. Uh, their model supports, encourages, and promotes the educated, the well-to-do, and the prominent, while at the same time, gently but firmly, kicking the struggling, the unattractive, the poor, and the sinful to the curb, all with a smile on their lips. It's a religion where might makes right, a faith where the powerful advance, uh, but also a system where the truly poor, the, the weak things of the world, the rebelliously sinful, uh, are castigated, ignored, and used as grist for the mill of the Mormon machine. There is little compassion for those who are in sin. It's not that you condone sin as Christians, but there is compassion in helping people see the solution for sin. Little there. Little concern for those who drain their resources. And uh, whether in a local ward or as a head of state, Wherever that might be, the weak will be cast aside. It's part of their model for success. They cast aside anyone who gets in the way of their earthly success. So, Christians, let me give you a promise. If and when you embrace Mormonism in any way, you are embracing the antithesis of who uh, and what Jesus Christ was all about when he walked the earth. 
and the cost is going to be incomprehensible. Mark my words. How about a moment from the word? We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and in verse 24, Jesus says, yet again, another important and clarifying statement relative to the Mormon Christian debate. They just put the scripture up. Let's bring it up again. John 5, 24 says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. In the book of Romans, we read, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In the Gospel of Luke, the Lord teaches a parable known as the parable of the sower. In explaining it, he says, now this, the, now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. Later in the same chapter, someone points out uh, to Jesus, hey, your earthly mother, your brothers are over there. And Jesus says, my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. And of course, there's the all familiar Hebrews 4.12 passage that says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But recent LDS prophets like Ezra Taft Benson, Gordon B. Hinckley, and Thomas S. Monson have said to this generation, quote, the Bible, meaning the word of God, as it has been transmitted over the centuries, has suffered the loss of many plain and precious parts. Jesus talked about those hearing his words and believing them being saved. He told parables about the word of God and how it's planted. And he said, anyone who hears the word of God are his mothers and brothers. How could this be if the word of God is missing truth? How could it be if the word of God can't be trusted? Paul said that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is by hearing the word of God preached that people come to faith. But the Mormons from Joseph Smith day to the present say the Bible is faulty, unreliable, and defective. So they offer up a thing called the Book of Mormon, which they say is the most correct book on the face of the earth, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and speeches from men standing up behind pulpits that they say is even more important than what is written in those books as having the ability to fill in all the missing pieces that the Bible is, uh, contains. It's deception, folks. Trust God, not man. Trust God's word, not man's. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, uh, we seek you in all things. We seek you for those who are channel surfing, wherever they may be in this world or nation or state. We pray for our audience members here and at home who are watching on live television, our streaming video uh, visitors. We pray that you will be with us as we cover this material and as we open up the phone lines. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about the three witnesses of the golden plates and how the record of all that happened with them out in the woods point to it being a con pointed at uh, convincing one man, Martin Harris, that some plates were real through seeing a vision. Tonight, we're going to talk uh, as a, 
about the second group of witnesses of men uh, who supposedly saw Joseph Smith's golden plates. They're known as the eight witnesses. Now, the eight witnesses experience was much different from the three uh, because the eight witnesses claim that they actually saw and held the plates, not through spiritual eyes and visions like uh, the three witnesses claim to see them. In 1829, as reported in the LDS Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord said he would give the three witnesses power to see the plates. Joseph Smith had God say in Doctrine and Covenants 511, and to none else, meaning the three witnesses, will I grant this power to receive the same testimony among this generation. What he's saying there is only to those three would the power go to see the plates in vision, okay? Uh, as a result of putting this revelation this way, um, that God would not grant anybody else the power to see them through vision, Joseph couldn't do the old, can you see him, can you see him trick to anybody else. So he had, he, but for some reason he felt compelled that another group needed to testify that these plates were real, that they actually saw them. So he gathered up two of his brothers, uh, Samuel and Hiram, his father, Joseph Smith Sr., and five male members of the Whitmer family to actually come together and observe, see, hold, touch the plates. I think Joseph was just trying to ensure that the question of whether the plates really existed or not, that everybody asks, could be sort of put to bed. Now, this could really be a short presentation tonight because as far as I'm concerned, they were part of the, the con. I could be wrong, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, they were. Both families were dirt poor. They were interested in finding buried treasure as uh, before the gold plate story came up. And I think they thought that maybe they could cash in on the book once sales started happening. If I'm wrong about this, we need to explain what the eight witnesses actually witnessed. Let's look at their testimony that's included in the preface of every book, almost every book of Mormon that has ever been printed. It reads, Be it known unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, unto whom this work shall come, that Joseph Smith Jr., the author and proprietor of this work, hath shown us the plates of which hath been spoken. A couple things to notice about that. First of all, Joseph Smith, who wrote this, uh, says he's the author and proprietor of the Book of Mormon. And secondly, I want you to notice that um, the language that he uses to write this is he employs Elizabethan English. There's a line there, hath shown us the place, plates of which hath been spoken. I mention this to show you that Joseph had an ability and a penchant to speak and write in Elizabethan English, and everything he said made it sound like it came from God. So in the testimony of the witnesses, it sounds like verbiage that came right out of the Book of Mormon. Okay, the testimony goes on. Speaking of the plates, it says, which have the appearance of gold. Uh, now, LDS apologists use this line to defend against the criticism that if the plates were truly solid gold, there is no way Joseph could have run through the woods with them while fending off attackers because the plates would have weighed at least 160 to 200 pounds based on all the dimensions that we've been given. And for him with one arm to fight off attackers and carry them and run, I mean, you couldn't do it, especially for the distances that he claimed. So the LDS defenders go to the line of the eight witnesses that's included here, and they say, all we know about the plates is they had an appearance of gold. Uh, but Joseph Smith himself said that the angel Moroni told him the plates were made of gold, okay? And growing up, most kids, at least my age, uh, on down, 
Uh, my age on up have been taught that the golden plates were gold. They were made of gold. It lent to the whole picture of the miraculousness of them. And yet Joseph was, tells stories about lugging them around like they, like they were a little tiny briefcase. They were not, okay? So, and I also think that an angel of God, if he said the plates of gold, he meant gold, right? And so the plates were gold, but they used that line out of the three witnesses to say they had the appearance of gold. They do that today. Okay, onward with the testimony of the eight. And as many of the leaves as the said Smith has translated, we did handle with our hands. And we also saw the engravings thereon, all of which has the appearance of ancient work or, and or curious workmanship. And this we bear record with words of soberness that the said Smith has shown unto us for we have seen and hefted and know of a surety that the said Smith has got the plates of which we have spoken. And we give our names unto the world to witness unto the world that we have seen and we lie not, God bearing witness of it. And that's the end of the, the, the witness. I've got nothing to say about it except I don't understand why they uh, kept talking about the said Smith and testifying of his veracity and then adding in there, and we lie not. Uh, they say that, I believe, because that was part of the con language. And to constantly say, I'm not lying, I'm not lying, I'm not lying. You're lying. Okay? So uh, then we come to the signatures, and we're going to show those on the graphic. The signatures, Christian Whitmer, Jacob Whitmer, Peter Whitmer, John Whitmer, Hiram Page, their brother-in-law, Joseph Smith, Hiram Smith, and Samuel Smith. Now, these men either lied saying they saw and touched something but didn't, or they believed they saw and touched something ancient, but it wasn't, or they actually saw and held the golden plates, uh, which were of ancient origin, and if they did, the Book of Mormon is true. And, uh, but because I don't believe they did, let's believe that the, the eight men either saw nothing and lied saying they did, or they saw and handled something they believed was ancient, but wasn't, or they saw and handled something, maybe knew it was a counterfeit, but lied anyway saying they were real. It is impossible to know what actually happened. Of course, uh, if the two families were in collusion, no counterfeit plates were needed to convince anybody of anything at all. But if they weren't in on it and they believed in Joseph's tale, then a counterfeit set of plates would have been required for them to touch and handle and testify of. However, a former Mormon leader by the name of Stephen Burnett said in 1838 that Martin Harris had told him, quote, the eight witnesses never saw the plates and that they hesitated to sign saying they did, but were ultimately persuaded to do it, end quote. This is early stuff, Martin Harris being one of the first three witnesses, saying, hey, listen, those guys didn't see anything. They just signed their name to it. And they were all from two families. That's, that's quite possible. Since we can't prove any of it, all we can do is look at what happened to the witnesses, these eight guys. What occurred? So let's start with the Whitmers. According to LDS author Richard Bushman, in 1838, eight years after the Book of Mormon was printed, every one of the Whitmer family became estranged from Joseph Smith during a leadership struggle in far west Missouri, and all were excommunicated. They'd served their purpose. They were booted to the curb. They did their thing, and that was it. They subsequently fled to Caldwell County after receiving an ultimatum from the Danites. That was a posse of... of, of um, threatening Mormon men who were uh, uh, essentially murderous henchmen for the Mormon church. The Whitmers, supposedly witnesses of the actual golden plates, fled to far west Missouri, fled from far west Missouri to escape the wrath of the Danites and were subsequently all excommunicated. Why? 
because they had challenged Joseph Smith. They had served their purpose and they were summarily dismissed, kicked to the curb. For an excellent read, go to utlm.org and get a copy of David Whitmer's testimony pamphlet called An Address to All Believers in Christ. An Address to All Believers in Christ. He came out and he gives you the inside story about what the whole thing was about. We'll try to cover that someday. So this leaves the Smith witnesses, Joseph Smith Sr., his son Hiram, and his other son Samuel as the witnesses. Naturally, they remain true to the story. Joseph Smith's father died saying, yes, I was one of the witnesses. And Hiram was killed in Carthage jail at the shootout with his brother Joseph. This left Samuel Smith, Joseph's brother, and a fascinating tale uh, only Mormon history could produce. Before I tell it, I want to strongly suggest something. There is a diabolical power availed to men and certain groups when they take human life. Uh, it's not by chance that this fallen world was christened by the blood of Abel by the first child of the fallen world, Cain. Nor do I think Mormon, Mormonism's present day wealth and power would exist without similar actions taking place in mountain meadows of 120 innocent men, women, and children, and or uh, Brigham Young seeing to it that Utah dissenters would disappear from the face of the earth and no one would know where they went. Evil empires, light or dark in appearance, are flooded on the, are, uh, excuse me, founded on the blood of sacrificial deaths of innocence. So, enter Samuel Smith, the only witness to the plates alive when Joseph and Hiram were killed in a gunfight. Samuel Smith was the first baptized member of Joseph's six-member church, so he had a very important role in the early church. He also was one of the, uh, uh, of course, eight witnesses, a very powerful and important man. Samuel was an early missionary and a member of the Kirtland High Council. All this experience, as well as his blood ties to Joseph, his brother, put Samuel in place uh, far ahead of another guy named Brigham Young. Joseph Smith's personal scribe, William Clayton, recorded the fact that Joseph declared that Samuel, his brother, was to be the successor of the pro and become the prophet of the church if Joseph and Hiram were ever killed or died. You got all that? But when Joseph and Hiram were killed, there was conflict over who should be the successor. Brigham Young was intriguingly out of town when Joseph Smith was martyred, and um, he rushed back as soon as he could when he heard the news. In the meanwhile, several potential leaders were positioning to take the reins of leadership uh, that was left vacant by Joseph and Hiram's death. Brigham Young's first cousin, cousin, a church apostle by the name of William Richards, insisted that nothing should be done until Brother Brigham got back to Nauvoo. But a large number of members did not want to wait, and there was a great groundswell gathering behind Samuel. The people knew that Joseph had said, Samuel, you are going to be the one to take over if Joseph and Hiram die. This presented a huge problem to Nauvoo Mormonism, you see, because Samuel Smith was uh, vehemently against polygamy. And he promised the people of Nauvoo 
when he heard, hey, they're getting behind me, I will put an end to this evil practice. Uh, if as I take over the head of the church. When it looked like Samuel Smith would become the next prophet, uh, uh, he rallied the people behind him on this premise, no more polygamy. D. Michael Quinn from his book, The Mormon Hierarchy, Origins of Power, explains what happened next. It was then Samuel Smith suddenly became violently ill and died on 30 July, 1844, or 33 uh, days later, this added suspicion of murder to the escalating drama. Council of 50 member and physician John Bernheisel told William Smith, who was Joseph's brother, that anti-Mormons had somehow poisoned his brother. But William learned that Samuel's widow, from Samuel's widow that Hosea Stout, a Missouri Danite and senior officer of the Nauvoo police, had acted as Samuel's nurse. She said Stout had given him white powder medicine daily until he died. Within days of Samuel discussing his succession rights, he became ill. By the 24th of July, he was very sick. So what happened? Did Samuel just get sick and die a month after his two brothers? Did any anti-Mormons supposedly poison him like they tried to say? Or was something far more diabolical in the works? Listen to this. In 1857, Brigham Young, now out here in Utah, from the pulpit, said something very curious. Listen to the spin of his comments. He said, William Smith, Joseph Smith's brother, has asserted that I was the cause of the death of Brother Samuel. When Brother Woodruff, who is here today, knows that we, are wait we were waiting at the depot in Boston to take the passage east at the very time when Joseph and Hiram were, ki were killed. Brother Taylor was nearly killed at that time. So suddenly he starts talking about the assassination in the jail. Brother Taylor was nearly killed at that time and Dr. Richards had his whiskers nearly singed off by the blaze of the guns. In a few weeks after Samuel Smith died and I am blamed for the cause of his death. So Young gets up and he says this out of the blue in this talk. Did Young have anything to do with the death of Joseph Smith's brother and official appointed successor? At least two people close to Samuel Smith thought so. The surviving brother, William, of Joseph and Samuel and his own daughter said, William, I have good reason for believing that my brother Samuel H. Smith died of poison at Nauvoo administered by order of Brigham Young and William Richards only a few weeks subsequent to the unlawful murder of my older brothers, Joseph and Hiram Smith, while incarcerated at Carthage Jail. Several other persons who were presumed to stand between Brigham Young and the accomplishment of his ambitions and wicked designs mysteriously disappeared from Nauvoo about that time and have never been heard from since. That's from Mormonism, letter to William Smith, New York Tribune, May 28, 1857. How did Young do it? We're gonna show you a picture. Right there, baby, right there. Look at that guy. He looks like a kind, caring man, doesn't he? Hold on that guy, Derek. Derek was supposed to do a sound effect with that and I'm really disappointed he didn't. <laughs> Hosea Stout. Hosea Stout was an assigned Mormon murderer. He was one of the Danites. He's the one who took care of Samuel Smith who suddenly got ill. His advocation was shedding blood and he did it in the name of God for the cause of Mormonism. According to Quinn's research, Stout's diary describes several occasions when Brigham Young and the apostles 
seriously discussed having Hosea, quote, rid ourselves of various church members considered dangerous to the church and the apostles, end quote. According to the diary, says Quinn, quote, Stout referred to this ridding of the church of dangerous threats as the method of, quote, cut him off behind the ears according to the law of God in such cases. That means slit their throat. Uh, I'm guessing that they couldn't slit Samuel Smith's throat because of everybody around knowing that that was one of the temple rites for taking someone's life, so they poisoned him instead. Later in life, listen to this, when the Salt Lake Municipal High Council, that's a theocracy in place here, they tried Hosea Stout for attempted, for attempted murder. And he protested by saying this, quote, It has been my duty to hunt out the rotten spots in the kingdom, end quote. Notice that after Stout served his purpose, the church kicked him to the curb and tried him for doing what he was taught and called to do. So what happened to Samuel Smith, uh, witness of the actual plates? Joseph Smith's secretary recorded in his diary that Brigham Young's cousin, William Richards, exerted efforts to avoid the appointment of a successor before Brigham Young arrived. In light of this, Joseph Smith's surviving brother believed that William Richards asked Stout to murder Samuel. The motive? Prevent him from becoming the church president before Brigham Young and the full quorum of the Twelve could arrive to Nauvoo. In the Joseph Smith family testimony, page 448, it reads, quote, Hiram and Joseph was murdered, Carthage Jail in Hancock County, Illinois. Samuel Smith died in Nauvoo, supposed to have been the subject of conspiracy by Brigham Young. With that, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First time callers, please, LDS callers, um, if at all possible. It looks like we have some people on the line. We're going to go to uh, Jada on line one. Jada, you're on Heart of the Matter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so my question is, me and my mom have been, have been reborn Christians, Christians for... Jada, about, Jada, but, start over and talk really slow and, and clearly. Um, me and my mom have been reborn Christians for about six months. Okay. After after being baptized to the Mormons. Okay. And my and some of my my old Mormon friends have been trying to suck me back back into the Mormon cult, culture. And my question is, how should I approach them and tell them I'm not Mormon anymore? Um, do you do you have any problems saying it just that way? Um, well, all my friends at school keep asking me why I'm not going, and I just don't know what to say because I don't want to hurt them. Does it, does it, do you think it would hurt their feelings if you said, well, I'm not, I'm not a member of the Mormon church anymore, I'm, I'm now going to a Christian church? Um, I'm just afraid that it will offend them thinking that... Is bad or something, and that they won't be my friend. And I've been having so many troubles making friends at school. Oh, you do. Uh, you go to a public school here in Utah. Mhm. Okay. Well, 
you might say, uh, you just might say, you know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ and, uh, and I go to a Christian church now with my mom. And if they're really your friends, then they will continue to be your friend. And you'll be able to share things with them kindly and lovingly over time. And, uh, but if they're not your friends, they, they will stop being your friend because you made that decision for Jesus. They, and, and so it's going to be a good thing in your life if they stop being your friend now, rather waiting until you're friends with them all the way through high school and suddenly uh, they turn on you then. Now, let me tell you one thing, Jada. You have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and he dwells in you. And he who is in you, Jada, is far stronger, more powerful, more influential than that whole entire school. I know it's hard. I, I can't imagine. You're, you're, you're quite the little heroine out there. But stay strong. Keep in prayer. Read your Bible. And you stay strong for the Lord. And you just lovingly tell your friends just calmly, oh, I'm a Christian now. And I think your good friends who are there, they're going to still love you and you're going to be used by the Lord to reach them. Does that help? Yeah, that helps a lot. Okay, where are you going to church? Um, I go to the church in the, in the Rock Church in Provo. Excellent, excellent job. So I'm sure there's some friends there that you could meet. And if you start losing friends maybe from the school, you might be able to do some like co-op thing with your mom and other Christian kids after school. And I'm sure they have those type of things because I know it's tough, but I know there are plenty of Christian uh, families down there who have children and you might be able to get together with them. And if they don't, start one. All right? Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Jada. Thanks for watching the show. We'll be praying for you. Okay. Okay, bye. Pray for Jada, everybody. She needs it. I'm going to Angie in Murray, Utah. Angie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. Hi. Uh, is this fun? This is. Uh, I wanted to ask a quick question. Um, my mom and I were in a discussion the other day, and we wanted to talk about, or she wanted to talk about the temple. Okay. And I was like, Anyway, we went over some things, and she goes, well, I don't understand why you don't believe anymore. How could you explain, you know, people, you know, talking across the veil to other people on the other side, and then also going into the temple and saying that they've seen other spirits and stuff like that they were doing the temple work for. How do you respond to that? I, I respond to uh, seeing spirits is a scary thing. I don't, I don't know uh, where that comes from, but, uh, and I don't know how real it is, but if someone's really seen a spirit, and you know, this harkens all the way back to Joseph Smith. I mean, he saw spirits too. He spelled them with, they spelled it with E, spirits. And there are spirits everywhere. And so it harkens back to the whole culture. Um, and so I would say be very careful if you go into a place and the spirits are talking to you. Because we know absent from the body, present with the Lord. And uh, you don't go taking off and be present with the Lord and want to come back here and hang out. So I'd be very careful about people who say they see spirits. Um, in terms of the temple, your mom's asking you how you could have gone through there and how, it, what's your question about it besides the spirit side? Oh, just so, you know, they see, you know, spirits within the temple, uh, the, you know, the people that they do the work for. And it's like, you know, they see those, 
Well, your mom is ba- your mom is basing uh, a belief in a system based off uh, third party, at least uh, tertiary information from people saying, "I saw a spirit." You know, th- th- that's not how God wants us to understand truth. That's why He's given us a manual to describe and understand truth, and it will talk to you about spirits and seeing spirits and talking with spirits and peeping spirits and things in the Scripture. But, you know, you, you got to have something foundational to turn to to see if your experience is right. So your mom has, we have done, uh, uh, what is your, Angie, we have done 320 hours of programming. Let's say that every bit of it is a lie, but 10%, that just 10% of this programming is true. So that would be 30 hours of programming that's true about, uh, about Mormonism being false. Yet your mom is trying to build her belief off someone saying they saw a spirit. We read the Bible, what it says. We read what Jesus said the gospel is. We read what Paul describes. And this is truth. And all the rest of this stuff is just demonic games to keep people involved in it by the strangest forms of proof. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Anything else? No, that's it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for watching. Thanks. Okay, bye. We're going to Jacob in Washaki. Jacob, where's Washaki? It's Washakie. That's why I'd never make a good Indian. What What is Washakie? Where is it? It's right by Tremont. It's up by the okay. Idaho border. Got it. Washakie. So what's going on, man? Not a lot, but I I got I got like a bone to pick because. <clears throat> I like how you, you always make fun of the Mormons, but you don't say anything bad about your own church. Well, let me explain a couple things. First and foremost, I was LDS for 40 years. Active, I did, I did everything they said, with the mission, temple marriage. I understand Mormonism. Secondly, I had a roadside experience where I was pleading for the Lord to show me truth. And he did, and he gave, me, he gave me new life. And when I got that new life, I had new vision, and I started reading the Bible, and I stayed LDS for another four years just to give it a chance to see if I had been missing something the whole time. At the end of that four years, I realized this thing is a complete hoax. And so then I went to a school of ministry, and I learned what the Bible teaches. After that, we had a book published, and we started a ministry, and I was invited to do this television program. And I only talk about Mormonism primarily relative to, to Christians because that's what I understand. If I had been raised a Hindu or a Muslim, I would do a show about Hinduism or Islam. But I wasn't. I was raised LDS. Now, we do, we do church services where we teach the Bible every week. We used to have a show here that we teach the Bible. But when it comes to reaching out to people, my purpose that God has put on my life is to reach out to the LDS. That's why I do what I do, Jacob. Yeah, and that, <clears throat> that's all good and everything, but, but like, what makes your, your vision better than mine? I mean, if I, if, if I have a strong testimony and you have a tra- testimony, then whose is better? Well, testimony is like macaroni. Uh, I'm just making this up off the top of my mind. I don't know where I'm going with it right now, actually. Um, it's, it's mushy stuff. Uh, oh, that was so bad. That goes to the low light uh, reel of Heart of the Matter. Um, 
Jacob, testimony is irrelevant when it comes to truth. The Bible teaches truth. I try to present what the Bible says to the best of my ability. I make a lot of mistakes there too. It's not my truth I'm presenting to compare against Mormonism. It's what the Bible says compared to Mormonism. And so when we make those comparisons, they do not equate. They cannot measure up against each other. One is wrong. It's either the Bible or it's Mormonism. Now, I am going to put all my eggs on a book that has the most amazing history, the most amazing resources, has been proven through and through to be reliable versus a guy looking for buried treasure with a rock and a hat. You see? And so that... Well, that, well what about this? You okay. You always make fun about Joseph Smith putting his face in a hat and all that, but, and you just tonight was talking about his place being... Uh, 160 pounds or 200 pounds. Well, what about Moses? He 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 carries these Ten Commandments on these stone plates down, one in each arm. How is that possible? What? Why don't we make a mockery out of that? System? Well, stone plate. First of all, stone plates could weigh you know 10 pounds each. We don't know how thick they were. We don't we don't know it, but we know that the children of Israel and the writers of Scripture all attested to seeing the stone plates, and by virtue of those stone tablets coming down, we have it written in the Word of God and attested to by generations and generations of Jews. What do you have to support the gold plates? Family members going out there and saying they were real. It doesn't uh, add we, up. You have yeah, the eight witnesses, but what about the, the splitting of the sea? How, how is that possible, you know? Well, I don't know how it's possible. I don't know how God did it, but I know that the Jews who were scrupulous in how they recorded scripture, who gave, have given more of their lives for their faith and their belief in this God that you're kind of mocking about them than any Mormon has ever done. And they have brought forth this miraculous book that gives us a history of it. How it happened, I don't know. And it is by faith that I believe it happened. So if you're making a point that you can believe by faith, but let me ask you something. How do you determine where to place your faith? Is it by guys telling you stories or is it by a lot of evidence and history uh, that backs it up? Well, that, that's exactly my question. How do you know what's a story and what is, is not a story? Because there's stories in the Bible that are hard to believe. Like there are. Bizarre, sure. But there. then you, you talk crap about a guy putting a, his face in a hat and carrying these heavy plates. Well, that's not that far out of okay. home compared to biblical stories. All right, you know? all right. I see your point. So let me just give it to you this way. You're comparing here on the air Mormonism against biblical Christianity. Mormonism uh, claims all these things happened and occurred and are true. Biblical Christianity uh, compares them. But if we're going to put them on, a, on two plates, Mormonism's plate of evidence is the size of a pinhead at best. They have no supporting evidence. In fact, they have contrary evidence to everything they claim being true. Do you understand that? They cannot prove anything about their claims. It all comes from the mind of a mystical man. Take the plate or the, the, the measurement tool for the Bible. It's about the size of Texas, you see? And you know, the Bible speaks of an ancient people. Those people still exist. It speaks of ancient places. Those places still exist. It speaks of pots and pans and, and coins. Those things are dug up by tourists walking by and kicking the dirt. There's so much of it. 
And then we have linguistic proofs for it. And we have, look at, they said the Bible and Isaiah couldn't be proven. We found uh, scrolls that proved that the Bible was so reliable, you can't even believe it. And then we have prophecy in the Bible. You could not come about with all these different writers colluding together to come up with a picture of prophecy for Christ or the end times like the Bible has. But see, you're comparing apples to the Rocky Mountains, dude. The Rocky Mountains are the Bible and, 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 and Mormonism's rotten apples. But see, in your secular mind, I'm guessing by listening to you, you're not a believer in either, am I right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And so what, uh, you're, what you're doing is saying, hey, man, dude, it's just like the Bible is no different than the Book of Mormon, but truly the Bible is completely different. So why don't you do some homework? Instead of going online and saying how the Bible's not true, go online and order a book by Norman Geisler. Go and order a book called uh, Evidence Demands a Verdict. If you don't want to, email us. We'll buy you one and send it to you if you'll read it. And then you compare, oh. and then you make the comparison. What's, it, what's that book again? Evidence Demands a Verdict, or How We Got the Bible by Norman Geisler. Evidence Demands a, a Verdict. Okay. All right. Hey, well, look. What do you have to say about all the, the archaeological findings down in South America or uh, Central America? There's none. Absolutely none. Let me tell you what they do. The farms, I mean, the uh, yeah, farms guys down there, what they do is they say, hey, we were down in, in, uh, in uh, South America and we stumbled across a footprint. That could have been, been a Nephite. And they write. We found a footprint. It could have been an Ephod. That is their archaeological evidence. But go online, go to utlm.org and look up the archaeological evidence of the Book of Mormon and discover that the Smithsonian Institute wrote a letter. There's copies of that. And it says there is absolutely no evidence for the Book of Mormon. None. Well, that, that's all fine. And I'm not trying to attack you or anything, Sean, but... I just think that the Mormons are getting kind of a bad rap for, for some stuff that, that isn't any less credible than stuff in the I would, Bible, you know. And I would wholly like, disagree with you. That massacre, you know. There's, there's no proof that was us. And Oh, dude, no, you, you need to... Blood. Oh, you, you, you really need to read the books that have been written by, by LDS scholars... It's totally proven, and they even executed John D. Lee, who, Joseph, who Brigham Young adopted as his own son. He became the scapegoat. They kicked him to the curb for the whole mess just to wipe it away. It is so proven that it not only happened, but that Mormons did it. And the only question is, did Brigham Young assign it or not? I personally believe he absolutely did, but that's conjecture, okay? But when you make the comparison between the Bible and Mormonism, my friend, you are just speaking ignorantly. It really, and I'm not saying that meanly. I'm ignorant on math, but in this, you're speaking ignorantly. Check it out, then call me back and, and prove me wrong, okay? Okay, I'll do that. All right, see you later. Thanks, man. Okay, bye-bye. Do, uh, do they sell ganj up in Mishawaki? Uh, I think there's giant farms of it up there. John in Silverdale, Washington. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, boy. Oh, that's interesting. What? Uh, hello? You're on the air, my friend. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, uh, have you ever been concerned about uh, negative advertising? No, not at all, ever. Oh, okay. Well, I was just wondering about that because I was looking through uh, what, uh, you know, Passover plot and 
Looking through what? Might relate to Passover plot. Have you ever read the book? Passover plot? Yeah, the Passover plot. No, I haven't read it. You haven't read it? Well, you know, I was uh, just, you know, looking through, and I just wondered if you, you know, the things you say about Mormonism, you know, how that people might say, hey, big deal about what you, you know, say about it and stuff. So you're suggesting, you're LDS, right? Yes. So you're calling and you're suggesting that my attacking Mormonism, I need to go read books like the Passover plot to show that uh, Christianity is just as much of a con? No, 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 oh, no. Oh, then I what, mean, what is what it? What I'm saying is that, uh, you know, what you're saying about Mormonism, people are going to probably look at it and also probably say, well, big deal what this guy has to say about it. That's what I'm saying. Well, our emails and the number of people who have come out uh, of Mormonism to a saving relationship with the Lord don't support what you uh, are concerned about at all. The ministry is viable. It reaches people who are searching, and we see people come out of Mormonism and into a saving relationship, and that's our purpose. It's not to bring people out of Mormonism into atheism. It's to bring them out into a saving relationship with the Lord. That's how much we care about them. Uh-huh. So how about you? Are you saved? Uh, well, uh, well... <laughs> are, are you saved? I consider myself saved. What does that mean? Well, uh, what do you think it means? Well, I think it means that if you are saved, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, regardless of your failures and imperfections, that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of your faith. And there is nothing you add to it that you have to do in order to earn life with God after this one. Uh-huh. What do you say? Well, well yeah, uh, well, I, I kind of see it that way, but I also see the fact that hey, uh, some people could do it like you say. You know, like uh, it's kind of like uh, picking up a new sport or something like that, but it's uh, totally actually different. Or it's, uh, oh, uh, it's kind of like some people have to kind of work to keep from uh, not doing the things they did before. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand? No. Okay. Well, it's the point where you, if you're, you know, you're a sinner. Yeah. Right? And you're trying not to do it anymore. Oh, okay. Like, well, you, well, you know what? Okay. what? What happens when you're born again is the Holy Spirit moves in you. And while your body, your flesh says, hey, man, I really want to sin, the Holy Spirit whispers to you and says, yeah, you, you don't want to do that. And so you say, well, I'm not going to listen to the Holy Spirit and you sin. And the Holy Spirit comes down hard on you and says, come on, man, you're a new person. You know, the Lord loves you. He gave his life for you. You want to do right. And you start thinking about the Lord and what saved you. And you start saying, you know, he did. He went through an awful lot just for me to bring me out from yeah. the gutter. You know, and so you stop that sin by virtue of his love, you, you see. And it's not that you, uh, like when I was LDS, and remember, John, I was LDS, there's a revolving door to the bishop on, on people who have problems with sin because they're trying to handle it and manage it through their flesh. And they're trying to do it by, by really squinting hard and not going and doing that sin again. Where with a born-again Christian, they, they turn it over and they trust in God to be able to finish that work that he started in them. Do you understand the difference? Um, close to it, but not, uh, not completely. I, I realize that. Like, you know. It's kind of like, uh, you know, somebody explaining to you, uh, you know, the concept of the Trinity and stuff like that. So some people can get to you right the first time, and then you kind of miss it. You know what amazes me is when I deal with people who are trying to understand Christianity and who are LDS, is they always start with the Trinity. 
and they always begin with trying to understand the absolutely most incomprehensible element uh, to ever exist, and that is the makeup of God Almighty. You know, why don't we just learn on trusting in Jesus who he sent, who the fullness of the body had dwelt bodily, and just try to believe on his teachings and understand what he was teaching, and then you can start to understand the relationship between he and the Father and the Holy Spirit. But LDS always throw in the, in the, in the discussion of what is truth up to Christians will explain the Trinity. Who was Jesus praying to in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was praying to his Father. I mean, it's not incomprehensible. That is an example. What's that? That's an example. I know that confuses you, but it doesn't confuse a Christian. He was praying to his Father. I don't know why that. Why you can think well, that is... Yeah, well, I understand that too. Yeah, but you think he was praying to a father who had a penis and armpit hair, you see? And, <laughs> yeah, you laugh. You're not going to laugh when you die uh, and, and, and find that he is, is not, he is not a man. He's not a man, my friend. So, John, keep watching. If you want a book, I'll send it to you for free because you're searching. We're out of time. We love you. Uh, Dustin, please call back next week. It seems like a good friend of ours told you to call. Uh, we have 20 seconds left.